0: The following lecture was delivered at the 14th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Washington, D.C., a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Shalom Paltiel now presents his lecture, The Shabbat Effect. We normally think of Shabbos as a day of rest from work work a whole week, you need a day off. However, in fact, it's not really what Shabbos is about at all. First of all, there are a lot of difficult things that we're allowed to do on Shabbos and very easy things that we cannot do on Shabbos. Obviously, there's a different meaning. If we decide, imagine the hotel personnel is not available, that it's our job to move all these chairs and this whole setup into the other room (laughs) on Shabbos, we're allowed to do it. I'm not going to tell you it's in the spirit of Shabbos. You're going to sweat, etc., However, it's not violating Shabbos. Violating Shabbos is by doing one of the 39, milchot. it's called, types of work that are described in the Torah. So if I schlep all these chairs to the other room, not bad. I flip a switch on this microphone, uh-oh, I violated Shabbos. How does that make sense? So obviously Shabbos is not about hard work and relaxation. We can relax on Sundays. We relax every night when we get home from work. Shabbos is something different. Shabbos is about stopping to do and starting to be. Six days shall you do, one day shall you be. Think about the first one who observed Shabbos. Who's the first one to observe Shabbos, to rest on Shabbos? God. Now did God get tired? Is this such a concept that God said, oh man, that was a long week, huh? I got to take a break. Of course not. All God had to do is 10 utterances of creation. So obviously it means something different. I'm not going to get into the details of what constitutes a malacha, which makes it prohibitive, prohibited on Shabbos, but just suffice it to say that anything that is transforming something from its natural state to something different. When we show man's mastery over nature, you uh, sew, you write, you make things grow, you flip a switch, you're obviously affecting electricity. You're doing something to take the raw material of the world, the way God gave it to you, and transforming it, showing your mastery, which all the rest of the week, it's a mitzvah. We're supposed to be partners in creation. We're supposed to be doing. On Shabbat, God says, I want you to remember that, like me, you're not part of the food chain. You're not just another animal, another mineral, another plant that keeps the thing going, but you are in the divine image. If you're a human being, and if you're a yid, You're not a utilitarian. You're not here to keep the world going. You are an end in and of itself. You're an image of God. You're an existence of God in creation. And you remember that by stopping one day a week from doing and that day just being. The Talmud puts it this way. The Talmud says, typically we like to say God created the world in six days. The truth is no. After he finished the world, he looked at the world, he said, Something is missing. I'm quoting, Mahayaha Olam chaser." What's the world missing? It's got everything. I mean, in those six days, he created Apple computers. I mean, everything that we need to make the world as amazing as it is and it will ever become. But he said, "No, there's something missing." The word is "menucha," which we translate as "rest," but what really means serenity, a sense of a center, a sense of not doing but being. "Bo shabbat, bo menucha." Shabbat came. Menucha came. So it's almost a mistranslation to say just rest from work. Shabbos can be tiring, especially a Shabbos here, trust me, tonight with the kids and with the singing and the dancing and there's classes all day long, and of course there's time for physical rest as well, but much more than just relaxing, Shabbos is about coming home to my center and being me. I recall a story. I'm a young man, 28 years ago, I'm living in Crown Heights and we're supposed to go to Port Washington to open a Chabad and I, I know very few people and I'm commuting back and forth. I'm walking around on the streets of a very secular community, there's no Orthodox shul at the time. A woman pulls over with her SUV and rolls down the window and she says, excuse me, are you lost? <laughs> and I was to a sense, anyway. So I'm told that if you really want to make it in this community, you got to meet a Mr. Hyman. And some of my people are here. and They know him. He's very involved today. He's on our board of directors for the past 28 years. Mr. Hyman, he's a macher. You know what a macher is, right? He's a mover and a shaker, and he's a big shot in business, and everybody knows him. And if he's on your team, and if he decides to support you financially and otherwise, you'll make it. So I pick up the phone to call him. And lo and behold, after one secretary, he picks up the phone, and he says, sure, you wanna see me, great, I know I know the kebab. come on down. But I'm busy, he warns me. I show up there, I'll never forget that day. I'm still living in Crown Heights. I went down Kingston Avenue to pick up my first tie so that I look rabbinic. And I got into my car and I drove about an hour to Port Washington. And I come into his office, forget about it, it's busy, the place is going wild. He must have 15 secretaries running in and out, bringing in things and coming and going. And I'm standing there feeling, how should I say, very inadequate, you know? I'm this kid from yeshiva, I'm 25 years old, never did anything real in my life other than study a little bit. I just got my first tie, (laughs) other than my bar mitzvah tie maybe. And here I am walking in like a rabbi with a briefcase, Mr. Hyman. And he says, Rabbi, I see you there. I'll get to you, but I'm a little busy. And the place is hustling and bustling, coming and going. There isn't a moment to come up for air. And about 20 minutes later, there's like a little pause, a little lull in the action. He says, okay, come in, Rabbi. What is it? What do you want? Now, what did I want? I wanted to meet him and talk about 15, 20 minutes, a half hour, tell him about Chabad. This is before Chabad was like a brand name. And explain it's about inclus- inclusiveness and embracing people, et cetera, et cetera. And orthodox show, sure, like I like to say Chabad is an Orthodox with a conservative service for reformed Jews. (laughs) So, you know, give him a feel of what you're about. Obviously, I want his support. I guess, ultimately, I want him to support me financially and otherwise, but this was the initial conversation. Maybe we'll become friends. Maybe we'll do lunch next week with our wives. I don't know. But he says, so what do you want, Rabbi? And I start telling him, well, you heard of Chabad and we're starting to be all over the world. He says, Rabbi, I'm busy. What do you want? I said, well, the Chabad, we're coming, we're moving. How can I help you? And I, what do you want? So finally I figured, look, let me at least walk out with a donation. It'll be a start. I said, you know what? Write me a check. He says, absolutely, my pleasure. He pulls out his checkbook. How much? Uh Uh-oh. I said, $500. Not an issue, Rabbi. Here you go. Good luck. But then I had a dilemma. In my bag, I had a pair of tefillin. And I was trained by my rebbe that if a yid laced tefillin, you just gave him a million bucks. A woman lights a Shabbos County, he gave him a million bucks. But on the other hand, he's so busy. They're coming in and going, and I got my money, my little tie. Just run. But part of me said, how can you do that? He did you a favor. Don't you owe him back a favor? So I popped the question. I said, Mr. Hyman, would you like to put on tefillin? And trust me, I was ready to run. I was like, and he says, you know what? That's a nice idea. I haven't done this since my bar mitzvah, like 45 years ago. He says to his secretary, Denise, close the door, hold my calls, we're praying. And we did a very quick rap. I didn't want to impose on his busy time. I took it off quickly, said the Shema, I did his own silent prayer, etc. And then he shakes my hand. He's about six foot four. And his hand is enveloping mine, and he looks me in the eye and he says, Rabbi. I want to thank you. That was the singular moment of peace that I had in four months. And I spent two days a week on the golf course. I later got to know him. And I said, why was that so? I said, I'll tell you why. He said, everything I do in life, I'm doing. At that moment, somehow I felt I was being Everything I do, even the golf course, it's all about the social and mastering the game and getting ahead meeting people. Certainly my business, even my vacations. I'm doing things. I'm trying to see. I'm trying to get my bucket list, whatever. And here I was doing something for two, three minutes. I really have no idea what it's about. I don't really care. I just know that it's it's our heritage. It's our peoplehood. It's an identity. And for that moment, I just felt like I was me. It felt awesome. So I want to suggest that Shabbos on one foot is transitioning from the being to the doing from the doing rather to the being you know we have a body and a soul or in hasidic language the divine soul and the animal soul the animal soul is busy doing the divine soul is being it's our essence and we have them both all week long but shabbos we transition from the focus of our physicality, of our making a living, of everything we got to do to that place of our essence, the image of God, the neshama, the penteleid, the spark of us that's part of Hashem. We move from physicality to spirituality. Now I heard this gorgeous idea which relates to the Shabbat candles that will be done momentarily as soon as we finish. So there's an interesting thought. On Shabbat, a married woman lights how many candles? Two. At least two. Some people add, if they have children, that's fine. But let's just say the custom, the required custom, you light one for yourself and one for your husband or your family. So it's explained, I believe this is from Rebitz and Jungreis, if I'm not mistaken. Why two? Because we have those two flames, those two souls. We have our physical life and our spiritual life. And on Shabbat, we light the two candles to represent that they're separate. We took care of the physical, and now we're going to transition to the spiritual, the two candles. Nice thought. But then she says, when you come to Saturday night in Havdalah, the candle has at least two flames. But now they're woven together. Wouldn't it make more sense now that Shabbat is over, just like one candle? We're done with the spiritual moving on to the materialistic. Uh-uh. The idea of is, you find your center, you find that spiritual place. You find the place where you're not a utilitarian being, but you're part of God, you're real, you matter. There's only one of you, etc., and you now take that and weave that into the rest of your week. Both of those flames exist, only now they're woven into one, so that for the next six days that you're doing, there's an underlying aspect of being. So six days that you're active and involved in the physical world, there's an underlying concept of Shabbat, of your spirituality, and we have daily Shabbats, which are our prayers and etc. I find it fascinating That the Jew who came closest to winning an election for the White House, Joe Lieberman, happens to be Shalma Shabbos. I don't think it's accidental. He wrote a fascinating book on Shabbat, which he believes is great for every human being. You see how Al Gore and others talk about him with such respect, obviously because he showed commitment to his faith, but I believe also Shabbos especially is a step forward. It's almost like embracing Yiddish God. I find in my community people take steps, Shabbos, candles, kosher, mezuzah to But when they walk over that threshold, you know, let's observe Shabbat. Or let's observe one Shabbat. For that time frame, they are, for lack of a better term, observant Jews. They they bought in. They made Hashem run the program of their lives. And I feel somehow that looking at a Joe Liebman, they feel, you know, this is somebody who's found his center, who's somebody who has that focus of being and not just doing. Maybe this is a real leader. There's a Jew in our community who I know for about 10 years and took baby steps, as in every Chabad house, to fell in kosher, the whole thing. And about four months ago, became came Shabbos. And it's a big deal. It's right before the long afternoon my wife is worried what are they going to do all shabbos they live two and a half miles from the shul leaving their sneakers in the shul the suit and her dress and the whole thing beautiful couple and um he's a high-powered attorney and he represents uh uh, professional sports people and sportscasters and one of his clients is a guy named james brown sportscaster anybody spoke to the college kids they some of them knew it apparently he's some kind of Big shot sportscaster. He was in the booth during the Super Bowl. African-American, highly uh, accomplished sportscaster in the field. Now, he's been representing him for about six months. Never spoke to him. He's on an email thread with a whole team of people who he deals with. It's the Friday after he becomes Shomer Shabbat. There's a conference that day by phone. So he writes an email to the thread. The fellow I'm talking about, his name is Arnie. You know him. And he writes an email to the thread saying, look, um, I don't know how long these conferences typically go, but I just need to know I have a heartbreak at four o'clock. I'm observant. Within 15 minutes, he gets a call from James Brown, a phone call. He hadn't spoken to the guy once in the six months that he's represented him. And Brown says, Hertz! that's his last name, Hertz! I always wonder why I took such a young guy to represent me, why I liked you, but it's something about you that I like, now I know. He said, in my religion, I'm committed, and I'm proud of you. And he said that instead of seeing people get upset and all the commitments that he had and high-level people, on the contrary, people trusted him and embraced it, and there was positivity. So, now Shabbos has two aspects, the respect and the keeping, the do's and the don'ts. Now, you might know that Shabbos is written in the Ten Commandments twice in the Torah, once in the book of Exodus and once in tomorrow's reading. Commentaries point out that while it's the same Ten Commandments that God gave at Sinai and Moses is now repeating them to his people some 36 days before his passing, Moses made some vari- from variables, some slight changes throughout the Ten Commandments, which are very telling. And commentaries deal with different ways. One of the commentaries says that God gave the basic principle, and Moses is trying to say what God really wants. So, for example, in the first set it says, don't covet, lo tachmo, which essentially means don't look at someone else, what they have, and try to get it. In the second set it says that, and then it says, lo don't even desire it. Moses is saying God doesn't just want you not to steal what the other person has, God wants you to be content and know that you have whatever you need. I don't even need it. That's the, the rest of the story. Another example is in the first set of commandments it says um, don't bear false witness. In the second set it says shav, witness in vain. Meant to mean even if it's not false but it's misleading what have you. So it's a much higher level where Moses is translating what God really wants. In Shabbat there are two Very pronounced differences between the first set and the second. In the first set, it says, Zacho, remember Shabbat, honor it. The second set, it says, Shamor, guard it and keep it. The do's and the don'ts. Another difference in the first set, it says, why should you keep Shabbat to remember creation? God worked on six days and rested on the seventh. In the second set, it says, keep Shabbat because of Exodus, God took you out of Egypt. The question is often asked, like, why is that important? If I can tell you that God is the creator of the universe, why focus on Exodus? And the answer is the creator of the universe makes God powerful, but it's not that personal. When God says, you know what? I didn't just create the world. I took you out of Egypt, your people. Welcome, welcome. Port Washingtonians just arriving. I took your people out of Egypt, and by extension, I take each of you out of Egypt and your own constraints and challenges. It's far more personal. So the commentary is explained to us that the second set of... Of tablets, second set of commandments in Deuteronomy are bring us to the next level. A person can experience Shabbat, as many of us do, just by the dues. Go to shul, get dressed nice, light a candle, make kiddish, celebrate with a good meal, not necessarily observing all its restrictions and laws, comes along Deuteronomy and says, Okay, it's definitely a start. We know the Chabad model, just take a step forward. It's great. But I want to spend a few moments and say to you, once you're sitting here at this Shabbat, and I don't know where people are holding in the observance, if one wants to feel Shabbat as a personal exodus, which by extension means feeling the relationship with God as a personal thing, it's my personal God, it's my Shabbat. Give it a shot to actually observe it. It takes it to a whole new level. People say, really, how could Shabbat anything for just because I'm following restrictions I get a good dinner I get a Shabbat candle meal it's romantic and we bless the children in some customs and we have a cup of wine and it's wonderful but this whole restriction I don't use electricity I close down my phone for 25 hours but you know what I say and I'm quoting this friend of mine who just became Shomash Shabbos it's like someone advising you to get into a hot bath after a long day You're aching, you're tired, you're beaten up. And you say, really? Why should I get into a hot bath? I mean, explain it to me. Well, "Well, it'll do this, it'll do that. You got the minerals, you got the the drops, the face, what they're called in the thing. And it'll accomplish in your bones by the time you finish telling the story and selling the book, the water's cold. Forget about it. Just get in, try it. It's like a lot of things today where they try to sell you a mattress. Try it for 100 nights. It's brilliant. Because once you try it, It's a whole different conversation. I don't need to sell it to you intellectually. If you don't like it, I'll give it back. This fellow tells our congregation. He's keeping Shabbat now for three or four months. You guys know him, and he says, just try it. I can't explain it. It changed my life. Somebody who's so busy, we're dealing with emails every four seconds for 25 hours, 26 hours offline, and all my clients respect it. They don't just accept it. They love it, they trust me more. I have serenity, technology serves me instead of the other way around. I have time, it's just me, my wife, my kids, we take a walk, we read a book. It's like that hot bath, just try it for 100 nights. Try it for one Shabbat, we're here together. Even if you haven't observed Shabbat, you're in this building. Of course, you'll feel the spirit, we'll light candles. But I suggest and I encourage, decide these 25 hours, I'm off, there's no TV, there's no phone, let your loved ones know, We'll talk to you tomorrow night at whatever the number is, 9-11. It's always an odd number, right? It's never even. And we'll get on the phone. I promise you the world will still be here. Washington, D.C. We'll do what it does, with or be without me. Shut down. Try that hot bath for one time. I encourage my people on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, take on one Shabbat for the year. Take on five. The Rebbe's gift to the world. It's not all or nothing. But take on Shabbat with the second message of Deuteronomy, not just Exodus, albeit... To be perfectly, in full disclosure, Exodus means that as well, but it's spelled out in Deuteronomy. It's about guarding the Shabbos. The negatives become the greatest positives. The restrictions are what somehow create that framework to make Shabbos work. And why is it? I need to welcome my beloved wife in the back, Sarah Palteel. Can we give her a warm welcome? Shabbos is the Eshet Chael, right? It's the queen, it's the princess. So, and I spoke earlier, I had an opportunity to speak to the college kids and, uh, and they're saying, Rabbi, why all these restrictions? You want to give me a connection to God and a deeper connection? Give me celebrations. So, It's been said that a professional violinist, a very famous violinist, was once tying down the ropes on the violin, and they said to her, why are you tying so tightly? This is music. Music is supposed to be transcendent. Let it hang loose. Let it chill. It's transcendence. It's spirituality. It's music, and you're standing there and tying it. And she says, yeah, you're right. Music is transcendent, but to reach that transcendence, it's got to be just so. Think of a symphony of 100 musicians playing. If you like music, you know what I'm talking about. And each one is into it. If you're playing in a symphony, hopefully you're moving along with the beat. You're loving it. This is not details. This is music. This is spirituality. It's art. But trust me, they're following every single note. Lest they miss one, they can ruin the whole piece because everything's got to be specific. So sometimes the no's represent a yes. The details, God says, keep Shabbos, follow those notes, whatever. We can talk about it. There are books, of course, written on it, the meaning, the 39 laws, what have you. But for now, let's just try to get into the bath and feel the delicious water envelop us of Shabbos. And understand that these no's are really yeses. The negativities are positivities. We're tying down the ropes. We're following every note. But what we're getting from Shabbos is not some kind of technicality. We're getting transcendence. We're getting spirituality. We're accessing something that's otherworldly. That's beyond any details or the sum total of its parts. My favorite anecdote about restrictions. So this college kid comes home after the first year, freshman, what have you, and says, I got to meet the rabbi, I got questions. College is so confusing, there's all kind of distractions and what have you. And he says, rabbi, explain this to me. You know, you religious people, you got all these restrictions and rules and regulations, you can't really do whatever you want, and yet you seem to have some sense of contentment and even joy. I see it on college campus, the kids who live with some moral compass, the religious Jewish kids, perhaps religious, Other faiths, they're going on a certain path, and there's a certain feeling of well-being and inner joy. And yet us, who have the total freedom to do whatever we want, wherever we want, I mean, it's just, everything goes. And somehow we can't find that inner smile. How do you reconcile it? If you have so much restriction, you should be miserable. We got the freedom. We should be happy. So the rabbi looked at the kid, and he said, you know, I know your favorite hobby is driving cars, you love to come home, take your father's sports car, take down the top, go down the 95 at 80 miles an hour middle of the night, and you hear it blowing, and you love it, and the mechayah. Says the rabbi, but why do you need to take the car out? Go into your favorite arcade, find one of those, you know, really loaded arcade cars, and you sit down, you got the whole experience. They strap you in in a leather seat. And you put the motor and the thing revs and the screen's all around, surround sound, the car pulls you over, you know what I'm talking about? And the seats go like this and the wind is blowing in your ear you roll down the window, you, 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 you got the billboards, you got the exits, the whole experience. Why do you need to take dad's car and get out there? And he says, Rabbi, I mean, how could you compare? Like, what's your point? He says the rabbi, let me tell you my point. If you're in an arcade, you're driving a car, the whole thing is make-believe nothing's really happening it's fake and because of that there's no rules you can go 150 miles an hour you can go 200 miles an hour in the wrong direction you can actually fly into the local building and see what happens on the other end if it's fake heck total freedom conversely I'm going down the I-95 at 80 miles an hour this is not fake this is real one little move out of direction God forbid it's spelled life and death Says the rabbi to the young person, I love this. There's only two views on life. One view, it's an arcade. We showed up, the whole thing is fake. We're biological accidents. We didn't have to be. God doesn't know my name. I happen to be here. I could have happened not to be here. I'm here. Let's enjoy it. We only go around once. It's an arcade. It's fun. What's the question you have in an arcade? There's only one question. How many quarters do you got left? Whoever dies with the most toys wins. When we have that worldview, on the one hand, we got total freedom. If it doesn't matter, a hill of beans. God doesn't know. My Zadie and Bubby, looking down, don't know. They're not even there. The whole thing is just make-believe. I just showed up on the scene. Even if my parents even told me I was a mistake. So if that's the case, I can do whatever I want. Nobody cares. It doesn't even matter. Freedom. But how depressing is it that my life is make-believe? Conversely, the view on life, that life is real, we're going down the highway at 80 miles an hour. Translation, we each have a soul that's divine. There's only one of us. And we have a mission to accomplish, which affects the world, Mashiach, the cosmos, our Zadis and Bubbies, all the way up to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Yaakov and Leah and our children and future generations. Everything we do in thought, speech, and action, God counts and cares and measures the way we do with our own children, and much more so And it's impactful on our families and on on the world entire. On the one hand, it's a lot of restriction. Oh boy, Uh, this has got to be just right. Don't flip that switch. Check your pockets. Light the candle. It's 422. It's 721. Because it's right. This matters. This is like you're sitting on a control tower. I don't know, controlling some kind of space shuttle, which will make it or break it for the whole world. You watch out for that detail restriction definitely but joy to know that my life is real and matters wow that's all we want that's all we want out of life the rebbe said this in other words to a college kid a young girl who asked for a private meeting she said rebbe i know you were encouraging me and the rebbe had written her a letter that she should go study for a gap year in Israel in Yeshiva. She said, Rebbe, I respect you, but tell me why. What am I going to gain in my career? I want to get ahead. So Torah is nice. It's a nice idea. There are scholars, but that's your job. Why do I need that? What is that year going to do for me versus getting ahead in my career, whatever she wanted to do? And the Rebbe said, you're right. It may not make any difference in your career. But the Rebbe did this. He pulled out a piece of paper, put it on the table, and he gave her a pencil, and he said, can you draw a circle? So she drew a circle. Was it perfect? No. Very few people can draw a perfect circle. And then the Rebbe went ahead and gave her a compass, a pencil compass, and she drew a perfect circle. Said the Rebbe to this young lady, that circle is your life, your career, your family, your hobby, your home, whatever you'll have, your cars, your social circle, it's all wonderful. Your life is not just about Judaism. It's the whole circle of life. But the yeshiva, the Yiddish guide, in our context, the Shabbat once a week, centering ourselves that's the compass. It makes the whole circle make sense. We come into such a retreat, and I said this last year and somebody repeated it to me today, I like they to have signs when you're exiting the supermarket at the checkout counter, and what does it say? Count your change before you leave. Hopefully we walk away after investing two, three, four, five days and whatever other investment we made, We count our change. We say, you know what? It's going to be different. There's going to be a change in terms of my actual mitzvahs. Shabbos is the best time for that center to put that compass in and and understand, starting with one Shabbat. And maybe we'll love it and we'll try and we'll continue. I tell people, embrace Shabbat and you'll have peace and serenity. I promise you a full refund of all your agita and pain and headaches if you decide you don't like it. And that creates a certain circle for all of everything that we do and we know the Rebbe's motto it's not all or nothing it's about growing I love this story a Chabadnik when I say Chabadnik I don't mean a card carrying hat wearing Shetel bearing Chabadnik I mean a Chabad house Chabadnik like many of you somebody who's involved and this particular couple they were on the journey and they were maybe doing kosher I don't know if they were doing Shabbat yet but they were doing the candles and in the journey they go into a private meeting with the Rebbe and they write in their note Rebbe we really respect you. We love the whole program. Could we consider ourselves your chassid, which means one of your followers? We're not really there yet. We don't know if we'll ever, we don't see ourselves ever, you know, with the hat and the, and the beard and the shaitl. You never say never, but that's not really where we see ourselves going. But we'd love to know if we can call ourselves one of yours. The Rebbe gave them a huge smile. and He said, he said any Jew is willing to grow from time to time. I'm proud to call him my chassid doesn't matter where you're holding. I say this to myself and my Chabad colleagues. You could be black hat-bearing, sheitel wearing Chabadnik, and if you're not growing, the is not proud to call you his Chalcedon. He may be stuck with you. Conversely, I just started doing my first mitzvah, but I am saying, let me go learn Torah like you're doing. Let me go try one Shabbat. And if we love it and we're not ready yet to embrace Shabbat, maybe we'll get together, the two of us, and we'll decide on once a month, Whatever. But Shabbos, the Torah calls it God's precious treasure. The language is, I have a precious treasure in my treasury house. Go tell the children of Israel, I'm going to give it to them. Now the whole Torah, there's so many mitzvahs, but Shabbat is penciled in, is circled in as that, as that precious treasure. It's a game changer. It's a game changer that puts that serenity and peace. I'm going to close with this story. So, my wife and I are blessed with 11 children, kid and some grandchildren, Baruch Hashem. Our youngest is a five-year-old kid named Mayor. And when he was born, when he was the age of two, he was ready an uncle. His kids in toddler class would call him Uncle Mayor. In our home, he's just known as the Mayor. He's here, you can see him running around, he's got a little black hat for Shabbos. So he's obviously, you know, the light of my life, the nudge of my life, okay. So, he's two years old at the time of this story. I'll never forget it. It taught me a lot about what it means to be a Yid and what God wants. He wakes up at two o'clock in the morning and he wakes me up or he's crying. I come to his crib. Tati, meir is hungerik, meir vil broiti. We speak Yiddish with the kids until they stop answering. The age of three or four. <laughs> Mayor's hungry, he wants breiti. Breiti is Yiddish for bread, but in our house it's code for toast. You know, healthy, uh, you know, dark bread toast with some kind of healthy margarine from Whole Foods. And that is breiti. Mayor will breiti. Hello, Mayor. says, Soya Zeger in the free. The mayor has spoken. So he's sitting by the table in the dinette, and I put up the breiti, and he's impatient. He's not looking too happy. The breiti finally comes. And he's taking piece by piece like it's it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. And I had a busy day that day. I have a busier day the next day. And I'm saying, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do? He finishes the whole thing piece by piece, absolutely no rush. Like I'm staff. I once heard, what's the difference between the dog and your cat? To the dog, your family. To the cat, your staff. It's like I'm staff. I'm sitting there and he's finishing his thing. By the time that the whole thing's over, he turns around, nach breiti. More. Oh my God, all right, let's do it. We put it up, he's again impatient, it takes five minutes, and he's eating piece by piece, and I figure, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I might as well enjoy it. I have a chance to sit and watch my two-year-old take it, and he's sitting there like, a, like the mayor, piece by piece, looking around, checking out the outside, you know what I mean? And then I want to engage him. Maybe I want to teach him a lesson. So I say, Mayor, can Tati Habina stikel from dein brayti? Could I have a little piece of your braiti? And the kid didn't like the request. <laughs> he wasn't happy. He takes the brati, he looks at me from the corner of his eye. Tears off a piece. If I tell you it was the tiniest piece possible. <laughs> and he didn't give it to me. He pushed it in my direction. I started to laugh so loud, I could have woken up the whole house, and I'm thinking to myself for crying out loud, hello kid, I just gave you the breiti, I gave you two breiti, I got a whole loaf if you need it. This seat, you're sitting on the table, you're sitting by the, the, the house you're in, the, the heat that you have, the clothing that you're wearing, hello, you're not giving me a piece of your tea? do you really think I need your tea?" Like wow, and I realized it's a perfect metaphor for us and God. God gave us everything, our very lives, our breath of life, our loving spouses, our children, our family, our successes, our ability to make a living. Everything about us is God's gift each and every day. And then God says, do me a favor. Give me 10% of your earnings. Do me a favor. Give me 20, 30 minutes each morning for prayer and at night a little bit for the Shema. Give me one day a week, which is just about you and I. And we say, God, please, hello, 10%. How about 2%? Does God need my money? Didn't he give me everything I have? Let's talk the language of Shabbat. God needs me to stop everything and do Shabbat, otherwise, he'll feel ignored. He loves us. He says, Do me a favor. Share with me the breiti that I gave you. Share with me. I gave you time. Give me one seventh of your time where it's just about us. No distractions. Live within yourself, live within your soul, live within your Yiddishkeit. Let's spend the great Shabbos together. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much. Please visit MyJLI.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings. And toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.